You're listening to The Multiplier Effect, an Endeavor podcast. And I think the only positives that I would say is that a lot of the noise has gone out of the market and it's a very discerning market. And if you've got a really great business with a great product and great R&D and great people, you know, that's going to stand out. And that's probably got a better chance now of getting funded because the competition is down. Welcome back to another episode of The Multiplier Effect. This season, we're focusing on investing in a recession. Each week, you'll hear from thought leaders from the Endeavor Network about relevant topics related to investing and navigating business during economic downturns. I'm Ellen Ryle, Entrepreneur Experience and Marketing Associate at Endeavor Ireland. And today, I'm joined by our guest, Elaine Coughlin, board member of Endeavor Ireland. Elaine, thanks for joining us today. Would you like to give a little background on yourself? Thanks, Ellen. Delighted to be here. Um, yes, I'm a board member of Endeavour Ireland, uh, which I'm really proud uh, to be a part of. And uh, it's been a great few years getting Endeavour set up in Ireland. And um, we have a really good presence now and network and ecosystem. I come from a technology investing and an operations background. I'm a co-founder of a technology fund here in Ireland. That's Atlantic Bridge. And we have early stage all the way through to growth. And we've about a billion and a half under management and about 140, 50 companies at this stage, either in the portfolio or that we've invested in in the past. And uh, before that, I was in industry, in the software industry. Um, but I, I started out uh, life in um, as an accountant. And that's probably where I picked up first my uh, love for all things uh, entrepreneurial and for business. Brilliant. And you have experience on both the founder and the funder side of things. So could you firstly speak to your experience as the co-founder of Glonav, um, raising funds in 2006, and then kind of how that experience as a founder has impacted your perspective as a VC? Well, that's a great question. I suppose the truth of the matter is, I'm, you know, in both, it's a, being a, a setting up a VC fund you know you're also still always a founder as well because that's a business in its own right and a challenging one in terms of you know the number of plates that you got to keep spinning but you're right prior to that uh, in between um my role i was cfo in a couple of companies that we took public on asdaq and then we founded a business glonav and i guess you know it's always uh it doesn't go in straight lines people think it does there's very few 45 degree angles that keep going that way in in a business there's lots of twists and turns it's a real roller coaster and i suppose you know the more you do it the more battle hardened you get and you get more resilient but it is a tough for a first time founder it's a lonely place it's a tough place you know i'm not sure that we all always have the confidence and the belief in making the right decisions and that's why i think endeavor as an idea and as a as a as a as a as a um, uh, organization uh, has such a big role to play because I always say you know when you see a successful business somebody somewhere made a really brave decision and we should acknowledge that uh, it's not for the faint-hearted despite it being kind of like something that's perceived in the in the years maybe easy money that's easy to do it's not it's really really difficult and they are the exceptions rather than the rule and obviously what we're trying to do with entrepreneurship in Ireland is we're, we're trying to make it more less of an exception and more of a rule and we're trying to build the supports and the networks and the people that have done it before 
support that we give the guidance and the mentorship and the support and the encouragement and the confidence to keep going to founders through what are very difficult um, challenges. So I think and challenging times and there's only one thing certain you know there's always going to be a problem uh, and that's that's the nature of of business so so i think having sat on the side of the founder table a lot of my time and if i wasn't not necessarily in a founder role but in an executive role and being in board roles you know it certainly teaches you um empathy uh understanding and it's always understand the challenges that they're grappling with at a human level, you know, we lose sight of that. So I think that's, that certainly does give me very good perspective and it does help when we're tackling problems as well, because I think you can understand their fears uh, a little bit better. Yeah, hundred percent. And so I, hope can, can, I, I hope we can, I hope we can. So you co-founded um, Atlantic Bridge and you've been running that fund in Ireland for almost 20 years. So as you said, like the only thing guaranteed really is, is change and, and challenges. Mm-hmm. Uh, that company through recession times and boom times and Ireland in particular has changed vastly over the pace of those 20 years. So what are the, some of the things that founders can do to manage their capital and protect themselves in times of crisis? And how do funds act differently in times of recession? So I think that is a super question. And I think I was thinking about it, the word recession, even we're not actually hearing much about it at the moment. Um, you know, and, and even if you look at some of the research, they're saying, well, maybe 25, 35 percent chance of a recession. Right. Uh, from a from a global perspective. But if we actually look at what's happening in the world of our founders, our Endeavor founders, there was most definitely a recession of capital because of, you know, changes in interest rates and because the environment of cheap money is over, because we've had a number of shocks to the system. Uh, only a few weeks ago with Credit Suisse, before that we had Silicon Valley Bank, but even before that we had crypto and meltdown. And even before that, then we had interest rates rising, right? So uh, most founders will be aware of the tougher uh, fundraising environment. Uh, I would say this has, we're a year into this from the US perspective. Europe, we may only be a quarter or two, but if you look at the numbers yesterday, 50% decline in the amount of capital in the last quarter raised by startups. If you look at the Irish numbers year on year, the ecosystem raised about the same in 22 as it raised in 21, a billion three. But if you look at the last quarter, it was down 75%. So so we're definitely in a, a very difficult capital raising environment but we've been here before Uh, and I would say we would look to you know 2010 to 2014 in Ireland and we would look to 2003 to 2000 post.com to 06 we're all very difficult environments so there's some good news in that and bad news from a from a practical point of view, what companies and founders have to do is really seriously battle test and question what do what's their absolute minimum need for cash and make their business as cash efficient as possible. 
um, uh, you know, focus on the most um, successful verticals and customers. There's no time for any noise or loss making uh, customers and markets and products. So you have to really take a really, really hard look, extend the runway, runway in the business. Again, take a really, really hard look. Again, tough because it's around, you know, do we focus on R&D, sales and marketing? Because we probably can't do both at the same rate we were doing. And I think look uh, at ways to be more efficient. And that can mean take, having to take hard decisions about where you have R&D teams, where you can afford them. And I think the only positives, as I would say, is that a lot of the noise has gone out of the market and it's a very discerning market. And if you've got a really great business with a great product and great R&D and great people, you know, that's going to stand out. And that's probably got a better chance now of getting funded because the competition is down. But the bar is up for sure. Due diligence cycles will be longer, tougher, harder. And all it'll take is the slightest question mark about something for investors to say, no, we'll pass. So there's no fear of missing out in this market and um you know the fear is of 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 investing so you really need to have well thought out business plans presentations and you need to be very flexible with your potential and both your existing investors potential investors and be able to answer the question if they say to you what are you going to do if you're not hitting your base plan next year what's your plan b so you really do need to think about you know alternative plans and be transparent with them at least it shows an investor that you're thinking you know obviously you're planning for the best but you know you 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 actually plan for the worst and you hope for the best but in 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 this scenario you actually want to be able to show that you've planned for the worst you know and you're hoping for the best but you but it's not a bad thing to show a downside plan in fact in this environment it's a good thing so as you mentioned fundraising can be a little trickier during times like this but it's nothing that that founders haven't been through before but for first time founders who are raising um, they're expecting it to take a little bit longer. Do you have any tips for moving the due diligence process along a little bit quicker? And is there one thing that founders frequently leave out when they're prepping their DD pack for investors? Um, so for me, in this environment, it's back to basics uh, and think that way. And the most important thing when you're starting out first-time founders, by the way, I think actually the early stage funding, particularly in Ireland, will probably hold up quite well. Investors that are investing at the early stage are taking the three, five year plus beyond horizon. They're not really investing now with the expectation that anything will happen to the company in a positive way in the next year or two in terms of exits or realizations. So they're on a longer journey and they're usually writing smaller checks too. So I think early stage should be okay. Uh, Traditionally it's not, but I think it actually is in good shape in Ireland. Uh, It could be the scale up stage that's difficult, both in terms of the amount of capital that's required the viability of those business plans. So I think I think for the first time founders, to your question, back to basics. Most important thing is validation, corroboration, customers, and if not customers, partners, inform partners that say this is a really great idea and we're very interested in it. And you know, as soon as she gets this first point of principle developed and brings it to us, we're going to be interested and that they'll take a call and that they'll do a reference check. So I think that's really important. I think the credibility of the people is really important. So your team's uh, you know, track record, qualifications, referenceability. Again, if there's any question mark about 
uh, any of that, investors will just pass. So I think the credibility and the provenance and the track record and the pedigree of the team are really important. And then I think the markets that you're going after, again, val- corroboration detail, whether it's Gartner, whether it's a market research report, as much fact points that you can give the investor to show that this is a market that's going to happen and going to take off and that this that your product is required and this is the, that you're trying to solve. You know, I would say to people, Solve difficult problems, you know, if, if you can solve difficult problems, ideas are great, big ideas. But at the end of the day, you really need to be removing pain points that people are willing to pay for you know, from a product point of view. If you're doing that, if you're doing that and you can prove you're doing that, investors are going to be are going to want to invest, but they're going to want to be sure they have a team that's going to stay together and be cohesive and stay the course and you know, knock the product out of the park in terms of building it, uh, that the market is real. And that's where the validation is really important and the referenceability is really important. Um, and that you're committed and ambitious and that you're going to, and you're trustworthy and you're going to deliver and that you're transparent and that you're going to tell them when there's problems. So so I think the due diligence bar is a whole lot higher, but it's not just, it's around numbers that are believable reasonable, rational. I mean, just don't put up crazy growth numbers. No one's going to believe them in this market, particularly if there is a recession, a consumer recession. Uh, you know, assume that the, the timelines take longer. There's no point in telling me you'll get a deal done in six weeks when it's really going to take six months. And, you know, the business plan and the cash need of the business has to stand up. I think you also have to assume that whatever round you're raising gets you through 18, 24 months. I mean, I don't think anyone's going to back something for just 12 months in this market because it's just kicking the can down the road to a very difficult market, maybe in 12 months to have to, to invest as well. So so I would say to the founders, think about those things uh, to reflect them in your in your in your deck, in your talking, in your meetings, in your due diligence materials. I think back to basics and be very realistic and be very transparent, but still be ambitious, uh, you know, because any company that can set up in this environment and get through this environment is going to do very well, in my view. And not to be all doom and gloom, some of the best companies have come out of recessions, right? So all the big guys are 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 reducing letting people go great chance to hire great people they're not focused on non-core activities which might be where these founders are focusing so the competition is less they're retrenching they're not in growth mode um, and that's that's their opportunity so they're canning and culling product lines that may have been competitive to you and so you have a bit of a free run and then the other thing is people are always interested in cost reduction in this market and if your product helps take either build in efficiencies or takes out costs even open door to a lot of businesses. Whereas when everything's rah, 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 go, 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 it can be hard to get in the door, you know? So so I think um I think there'd be opportunities for people to think about as they're putting their their deck and their materials together. Yeah, definitely. That kind of leads on to the next question. So it's very commonly said that innovation kind of peaks during recession and disruptive companies often come to the forefront in, in times of crisis. Why do you think that is and kind of can the pace of innovation that we've seen over the last couple of years continue or even increase in the next couple of years? I I think actually in the last two, three years, there's been a rotation, certainly in the last year and a half. And again, it comes to this thing when there's this phenomenon, when there's less capital, it becomes way more selective about what it gets deployed in. But there's an acceptance that, you know, 
deep technology, whether it's transformative, adaptive artificial intelligence, which we're seeing when obviously with ChatGPT, phenomenal kind of just launching of the 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 the, the impact of the technology. Uh, whether we look at coming down the next compute platforms like quantum computing and what that'll enable, the type of networking technologies, security and um, architectures on the life science side, personalized medicine, you know, detecting cancer from blood tests, by personalized medicine, drugs d- d- directly tied to the genetic uh, DNA of patients. These are all really just transformational for both um, business and humanity. So so I think that's going to continue and you've got more investment than ever before now by governments in the US and in Europe into these sectors. So I actually think it's not going to be about pictures of cats on the internet is what's going to get, or Instagram, that's going to get um, the financing. I think it's going to be businesses that can prove they really are heavily uh, R&D knowledge intensive and that they can scale that and that'll be I suppose the ultimate proof but that there's a you know that there's a business need uh, for these these shifts in technology so so I think that makes me excited I think if you're a kind of a me too business it gets a bit harder unless you're really super efficient and doing something in such a way that you're able to drive growth and efficiencies on the bottom line and so so I actually do think in a recession that, that innovation increases. Again, it's that back to basics. People focus on that. There isn't so much noise and people aren't like, oh, you know, going here, there and everywhere chasing things. So so I would be quite positive. But again, it takes people to hold our nerve and to continue to invest um, through those cycles. And, and most people are assuming, you know, the next 18 months, 24 months is going to be a very difficult investment cycle. So we'll probably see the numbers come down. We'll definitely see the dollars coming down in terms of what's going in the ground. But it'll be really interesting to see what sectors are getting funded. And I think you're going to see a lot of more deep tech rather than consumer tech. So if you think about consumer, you know, the way that we as consumers interact has been digitized and revolutionized and has been a huge part of the uh, technology investment landscape over the last, you know, five, eight years. And now uh, people talk about things like semiconductors that, that we in Atlantic Bridge invest in, quantum, biotech, security, cyber, cloud infrastructure, networking architectures, supply chain. Um, you know, having resilience in all of these areas, having capability and competence in all, in, in all, in all, in all of these areas. So obviously Atlantic Bridge specialized in investing in deep tech businesses and you were chatting about some really exciting emerging technologies there, but you started off as an accountant. So how did you kind of take the plunge into moving into tech and, and what kind of inspired that pivot in career, I guess? So uh, in in 1993, we we had a great company here in Ireland that was the first to go public on the Nasdaq called CBT Systems, and they were my client, and they were going to the states, and they were going to take the company public, and so I went with them, and I suppose that was really the start of it. Um, and uh, 
back then, you know, technology, though I'm not even sure there was a VC market in Ireland. Most businesses were bootstrapped. You had to, you grew by winning customers. Um, and um it was very difficult to get investment. Um, and I suppose I went from there to Iona Technologies and from there to Parthas, and they were both software and semiconductor heavy businesses, a lot of talent, a lot of tech, a lot of products, a lot of ideas. And we took all the, those three companies public. And I suppose through that, I got a good understanding of, you know, growing and scaling businesses internationally, capital markets, raising capital, IPOing, and all, all of the things that uh, you do to grow and scale uh, businesses. And what was key to all of them and key to Atlantic Bridge was we believed in Irish companies going global from day one. Uh, that uh, technology is a global business and to succeed and scale, you know, I've had very few customers in Ireland. So most of my businesses that uh, we are involved with, you know, they're straight away off the island. And so if you think about why we're involved with Endeavor, um, you've got Endeavor Global, you've got the access to the network, you've got the connections, the relationships, you've got the ethos of building and scaling and growing and building big bubbles, having big impact on local communities. Um, and I would have seen that with all of those uh, those three businesses. And those three businesses effectively have cycled through to Atlantic Bridge and on through all of the companies. So the knowledge dissemination and the relationships and the networks that, that has built are available for all our entrepreneurs and endeavor the same. So, so I think technology, and why I say tech, I include life sciences in, in that as well. What widest, I suppose, definition of tech, broadest definition of tech, uh, is a global business. And you really need to be plugged into the some of the biggest markets for both knowledge and expertise and the ability to continue to scale and grow your business, including capital markets and investors. And I think, you know, Endeavor, that's at the core of, of Endeavor. And that's why, as we go into this part of the cycle, capital is really important always, but so is access to customers. And Endeavor, for our Irish portfolio, has provided great access to customers through relationships, through all the various different verticals that we have at Global. And we're never more than one or two removed from knowing somebody that can help or can make an introduction or can get us into a customer. So as I think about founders in this market, you know, that's really what should be top of mind. How do I get customers uh, as well as how do I get investors? Customers are the best kind of investment you'll ever get. And from, I guess, from the other perspective, so your role at Atlantic Bridge means that you deal with founders and your own LPs and investors. So you chatted a lot about like advice on the founder side of things, but thinking about your LPs, how have you seen their expectations shift over the last 12 months, both here in Ireland and then I guess because Atlantic Bridge are global across the pond as well? Yeah, well, I think the first thing I'd say, we're really fortunate to have great investors that are long term and are investing with that horizon and thought process and wanting to do the right thing by the companies for the right, you know, over the right horizons. And so and they're experienced and institutionalized. So they, too, have been through loads of cycles. But there's no doubt about it. I mean, there's certainly Silicon Valley Bank, I think, unnerved everybody. You know, how are we? Is this because this kind of came in from left field? It wasn't a slow building crisis. It just, you know, blew up. So exposure to that, we say, uh, was on their mind. But generally speaking, because they've been with us for eight or nine different funds now at this stage, you know, they know us and, and our, our track record of handling 
whether it's you know the great financial crisis, whether it's you know um, this, the the um, now the banking crisis, uh, recessions, you know uh, the start of COVID. So so, but the key to it is communication. You know, so I think you've got to over communicate in these environments, and um, I would say the same to founders to their investors, and I'd say it to founders that even don't have people as investors, okay? You don't want to be emailing them every day, but you should be keeping in touch with them, you know? You should be building a relationship. You should be updating them on the business, you know? You, you don't go just when you're looking for capital, you know? Keep the dialogue going as best you can. Keep them updated in a good way and not in a too intrusive way, but keep them updated and, and build track record with them so that, you know, when you tell them, even if they said, no, it's not it's too early for us to invest, well, you know what? We just did our first million alone. Well, guess what? Well done. Okay. Wow. That's interesting. Let me take a look at that. Okay. In this environment. So, you know, make sure to kind of ping them and keep them just, uh, you just don't go cold, you know, don't go cold. So I think communication is, is, is really important to relationships, particularly to long-term relationships and investing is a long-term business. They're long-term relationships. And again, you do the right thing for the right reason. And, and the right things happen. You have to keep that keep that communication going. Uh, and you also, I think, have to help them understand any rapid shifts, good or bad, in the market as well. And um, so, you know, we get to see thousands of companies every year. And uh, that develops a lot of intelligence and know-how and understanding and knowledge. And um, our investors are always keen to to understand that and for us to share that with them, what, what we're seeing in the marketplace. And same applies to a founder, you know, sharing the same information about their particular vertical or expertise. So at Endeavor Ireland, we launched our first scale-up program for women entrepreneurs in January, uh, which you've been a great champion of. And you have been a longtime champion of women entrepreneurs in Ireland. How have you seen the funding landscape change for women in recent years? And what are some improvements that you would still like to see happen? So it's it's improving slowly. It's never as fast as we would like. Of the billion, we, we hit the first 100 million to women there about a year ago, uh, 100 million to female founders. I'm really optimistic and enthusiastic in the med tech sector. We see lots of phenomenal female founders there. They're early stage but I think that gives me hope for the next five-year cycle. They're going to come through. And I hope they do come through. And, you know, I'd certainly worry when markets get a bit tougher. But as I said, I think that they should be okay at the early stage uh, part of the market. So we have a long way to go for what should be when women are half the workforce, they should be half the founders, right? So we've, we've some way to go. And that's why I think the female founder scale up by uh, Endeavour is a great uh, initiative and we've got one or two female founders in our Endeavour entrepreneurs now as well and we want to see more and and we have a we have definitely you know a bias if we can to you know finding great female founders and and I think female founders aren't all that different from the guys they too require access to the network support. So we want to see more female uh, founders in the Endeavour network in Ireland and, and globally. So the other thing that gives me a bit of hope maybe is that typically in recessions and cutbacks and downturns like this, people leave some of these big organizations and um, sometimes voluntary and sometimes involuntary and they use their capital uh, they use their 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 severance to to set up businesses, you know. So I would hope, uh, or they make 
might take decisions to 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 start up to move into a new phase of their career. So I'm hopeful that we might see that see see more of that because you have a lot of women in senior management in the multinationals and in companies that are more than capable of of going out and 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 founding a business and setting up and scaling up. But to do that, they need capital and they need support. And I think that's where Atlantic Bridge and our early stage fund we do that endeavor now in building these earlier stage companies as well into our network we're doing that as well definitely and i think something that you mentioned that's at the core of everything we do at endeavor is, is network and, and community what else attracted you and atlantic bridge to endeavor and what kind of speaks uh to you about our mission well i um I think a mission-driven organization that wants to have impact is always interesting. But what Endeavor had was the track record of actually doing it and doing it for a long time and doing it before other people were doing it. So it's very structured, uh, codified, process-driven to make it as fair as possible in terms of selection processes. They have great people around the hoop that they can pull in and bring in to the ISPs uh, and locally, and that are all very generous in their time sharing that kind of mission of paying it back and paying it forward. So, So I think, you know, you can say you're these things, but Endeavor actually does them and has them and has the track record and isn't just in one country, but is in, I, I've lost track of how many countries Endeavor is now in, but, you know, there's three to five countries added every year and we're in, you know, we're in year four, I think now in Ireland, coming into year four. So, so it, it continues to go from, from strength to strength. And I think that's for us what, so we could actually test it. And then of course, you know, um, Edge from U2 was very passionate about having this capability in Ireland and this network. And it's also not just kind of a network or a um, it's it's also teaching, I suppose, people, allowing them to see other ecosystems globally and seeing what can we take back from that ecosystem to our ecosystem. Uh, so, for instance, for me, the openness of some of the networks that we look at in Endeavour in some of the, the chapters and the scale that they've got to the critical mass and the clustering that they've got to almost the peer-to-peer nature the founders almost get to get where they're actually you know we're almost not doing we don't need to do so much they're doing they're helping each other right we're, we're facilitating now we're not at that stage yet in the irish market but the long-term vision is that we would have that ethos within the network and um, because for companies to be founded and scaled you need and globally so they need global access they need knowledge network know-how they really don't need to sweat problems that other people have found the solution to and um, they need to move quickly and so when you've good and strong open networks that those information knowledge flows are much quicker faster cleaner and people as a result learn move and scale quicker faster but they're predicated on it being open. And Edge would be of the view that U2 became the global band they became because a lot of people, you know, helped them along the way in terms of introductions or needing to get into a certain organization or, you know, they were always trying to work 
work out who do we need to talk to to make that happen. Um, and of course, there was no international Irish music network back then in the in the eighties and the in the seventies and the eighties and the nineties. So there's a lot of learnings from that industry that are applicable to our industries here in Ireland, our founder uh, businesses. Um, I suppose we're trying to create within Ireland, which is a big, ambitious <laughs> task, big, hairy goal, as they said. You must have a big, big, big goal. We have a big, big goal, which is that we will have that openness amongst our founders and pay back and give back and pay it forward and keep the circle moving that we're actually not in competition with one another, that we're actually all able to help each other grow and scale successfully business businesses. And what you give back probably comes back to you. So that that whole concept of paying it forward, I think, is 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 really important. So I say if you were asking us you know, and that's not something that will get achieved over a few years. I mean, that's a mindset. It's a behavioral change. It's a cultural change. But I'd be very excited that we can do it in Ireland. We've got off to an absolutely phenomenal start, phenomenal businesses of scale within the Endeavour portfolio. And they're going to be our great leaders of how you run and scale an Irish business in the 2020s through the 2030s. Definitely, yeah. It's a fascinating mindset where like knowledge sharing and it's almost a borderless network and it's also all based on trust. And I think, you know, understanding that you can learn something from a founder in Brazil or like you might have the same yeah. challenge as a founder in Pakistan is just yeah. incredible, really. It just Amazing. kind of opens up the whole world. Yeah, it is. I do say, I think everybody needs to go to a market. I used to say, you need to go to a country that has a billion people in it to really mess with your head, but you actually don't. Even going to a country with 500 million people or 300 million people like Brazil or interacting with an entrepreneur from Pakistan, as you said, who has built a really scalable business. I mean, I've seen businesses from Mexico. I've seen businesses in Peru. I've seen I've seen businesses in Italy, Greece, uh, through my involvement with, with Endeavour. And, you know, then you see these entrepreneurs together with the Irish entrepreneurs and there's like a natural affinity. It's like a connection straight away. Um, and I think that's really key what you just said. You know, it's not just the Irish to Irish peer. It's the Irish to the to the to the guy in Athens. It's the uh, Irish guy, to the Pakistani guy, you know, whatever or girl, whatever. There will be an access also an understanding of some of those emerging markets as well. And um, there's probably business opportunities for um the um, uh, Irish entrepreneurs beyond just being with fellow Endeavour entrepreneurs. So I think that's a really good point that you make and the, that it's all underpinned by the trust of the Endeavour network. So you're you're not talking to people that haven't been validated. You know, they've actually been through the Endeavour process and they've stood up their business and their own ethics and as a person have, have been kind of tested. Um, so so it's, a, it's a qualified, trusted uh, network. It's exciting and there's lots, lots more to, to be done in the Irish ecosystem and, and, and elsewhere. So that's the end of our questions. We have two little segments to finish up with. One, the, the first one is called the call me crazy moment. So the founder of Endeavour, Linda Rotenberg, has always said, call me crazy, crazy is a compliment. So we like to ask each guest on the show, what has been your call me crazy moment? 
Well, look, I'd say, I didn't think too much about this, but as listening to you there, I'd say setting up Atlantic Bridge because it's crazy to set up a VC fund. It's very difficult. You have to, you haven't just to, you know, first of all, you have to raise the capital, you have to source the company, source the team, you have to deal with all the issues in the companies. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's definitely not the easier road. It's definitely more of a crazy, good, but a good crazy road. So I'd say that's probably my crazy moment. Definitely. I think that was probably yeah, a big yeah. moment in the Irish ecosystem as well. And then for our rapid fire questions, some things that our listeners want to know about our guests are, um, if you could name a company and CEO that most inspires you. Gosh. Um, Doesn't I, have I, to be the only pick, network. <laughs> I can only pick one. It's very difficult to pick one. Um uh, I think Tim Cook in Apple has done an amazing job uh, in terms of having to take over uh, from Steve Jobs. I think, you know, he'll always be in his shadow, a uh, very, very big shadow. But I think he's actually proven and come out and just turned Apple into the multi-trillion dollar business that it is today. And as a consumer and what they've enabled. Yeah, that's who I'd pick. Yeah, more for the kind of doing all the tough, boring stuff so well. Uh, maybe, you know, he's not the visionary guy that, that Steve was, but he did has done everything else incredibly well. Yeah. No easy feat taking over a legacy like that. Yeah. And what are you reading or listening to right now? It's um, I'm very interested in uh, geopolitics. I'm a big fan of Kevin Rudd. He's the former prime minister of Australia. Um, and he's actually now the ambassador to the US from Australia. And he re- he last quarter wrote a book, which is The Unavoidable War uh, Between the US and China. And it's a great, uh, The Avoidable War. Beg your pardon, The Avoidable War. But, and that's a great read. And I am also, I also have a few books on the go. I'm reading Surrender by Bono as well, which is a lighter read, a, light, a, a really enjoyable read. So I've got, I've got a bit of balance going on there. But, uh, that's important. <laughs> and lastly, what are some of the best pieces of advice, business-related advice that you've ever received? The first one, you know, uh, is around selling, actually, and you're always selling. And uh, one of my, it was Bill McCabe said to me, Elaine, people do business with people they like. They tend to do business. So, you know, it's really important when you're selling, you know, to be respectful, uh, responsible, on the ball, treat people well, you know, take the long-term view. So that's stayed with me for 27 years. He told me that back in 1993. Um, and Elaine, where can we find you online? Do you have a website? Do you, have, do you want to share your Instagram with us? Yeah, <laughs> your Twitter or anything like that? Yeah, I'm, I'm, on the, I'm on the web and I'm on LinkedIn and um, I'm not a big Insta. Uh, I do a bit. Of t- I don't don't do don't do much social media. Um, so, but I'm I'm happy to hear from anyone that that wants to get some advice or input uh, in these times. Yeah, no problem. I'm contactable through Endeavor as well. Right. Through Thanks. you, Alan. Of course, send send the emails my way. <laughs> uh, thanks so much for your time, Elaine. We really appreciate it, and thanks as well for your support with the scale up program and everything. Like it really does make a big difference. That's super. Thanks a million. I was delighted, Alan, and I hope there's something of some use to uh, some of your listeners. Thanks for, for taking the time to listen.